0: A clap praise. Yeah, is anybody thankful that we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? I, I'm just wondering, is there anybody in this house that's grateful that Jesus is King? <laughs> hey, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's hard to believe that my family and I have been here at this church for 20 years. I know a lot of you didn't attend our church when we first got here, but I was about this big when we first got here and now i've grown up here my whole life i was so small when we moved here i don't ever remember living what my family and all what my family and i call back home being at this church is all i've ever known we moved away from all of our family to quote my dad drag our single wide trailer 351 miles to a church in the middle of colliers beside a trailer park in a whole lot of woods and we had a grand total of 13 members it would seemingly make no sense why God was calling them here until we see where we sit today. And we look at how many people are sitting here in this in here, this Sunday morning in this wonderful facility God has given to us to see the wonderful and awesome things God has done through my parents' ministry. So many people have been blessed and touched by your guys' ministry, including myself. I not only get to enjoy the wonderful blessing of you being my parents, I also get the wonderful blessing of you being my pastors. I want to personally thank you for your obedience to the Lord and your faithfulness to this church. I want to ask if everybody in here will give it up for our pastors one more time. They do such a wonderful job. Now, before I get started on my message this morning, I just want to say that it is such an honor to be behind this pulpit again. But being honest, I really didn't think I'd be up here again so soon, especially on a special day. I am incredibly honored that the Lord laid it on Sister Alicia's heart to ask me to do this. And on this joyous day of celebration, I've come here with a word of encouragement. I've titled the message I'm bringing forth, God is so good. I'm going to be giving you six points on how good God is that the Lord has laid on my heart to share with you. I'll be reading a lot of different scripture throughout this message, so I'm not going to have you stand for the reading of the word. My first point to you this morning on how good God is, is he's a God who cares. Luke seven forty-seven and 48 says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she shows me much love, but a person who is forgiven little only shows little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Most of you probably know this is the woman with the alabaster jar. If you don't, let me lay a frame for you real quick. One of the Pharisees invites Jesus over to his house for dinner, so Jesus goes over to eat. And the Bible says a certain immoral woman heard he was there, so she goes to see him. She takes a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume, and she kneels down at Jesus' feet and begins to weep. As her tears fall on his feet, she wipes them off with of her hair. She then begins to kiss and anoint his feet with the perfume. Then the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this and thought, if only he knew what kind of woman was touching him she's a sinner Jesus then answers his thoughts with a story and that story leads to the verses I read to you I say all of that so I could point out to you something that the Lord showed me while I was reading this text as Jesus is speaking to the Pharisee he says aloud that her sins are forgiven I want to note that that one was sufficient he didn't have to say it again but then the Bible says he took the time to say it to her another time he spoke to her directly He did this purposely to let her know that she was loved, that she was forgiven, and that she was important. I don't know if I'll be the only honest Christian in here this morning, but I know what it feels like to have many sins, to have that burden on my back. And it is a heavy load. Then all of a sudden, I get the opportunity to throw myself at Jesus' feet. And while I'm there, my past starts yelling things in my ear, trying to get my attention. All of my present problems trying to break me down and get me to give up. And I begin to weep, just like this woman, expressing all of the brokenness and heartache in the only way I know how but then jesus gets my attention and jesus begins to talk to me and he overlooks all of my mess all of my mistakes all of my flaws and he takes the time to tell me i'm important to him that i'm loved and that i'm forgiven and all of a sudden all of that weight is lifted Hey, and i don't know who but god sent me here to remind somebody that you are forgiven you are loved and you are important just look at what jesus says in luke twelve and seven and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Do you know the difference between counted and numbered? Say you go to the fair, there's going to be a person there that knows there's 850 jelly beans in that jar for you to guess how many is in there. That's counted. When the Bible says that your hairs are numbered, he knows this one is five hundred and twenty-five, this one is eight hundred and fifty. God cares so much for us, he's taken the time to number each one of our hairs. Don't let that devil lie to you. You are important. Hallelujah. Huh. My second point to you this morning on how good God is, is He's a God who understands. Hebrews four fifteen and 16 says this, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive His mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now before I go any further, I do have to make something clear. We by no means have the right to sin. Paul says in Romans 2, I mean 6, 1 and 2, well then should we keep on sinning, so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Which means when we give our heart to Christ, we should start to become more like him and less like us. We should deny our ways and pick up our cross daily and follow after him. We should not be actively involved in sin anymore. And I felt led to stress that to you before I made this point. When we make mistakes, Jesus understands you see all too often the devil comes along and he shames us he binds us in chains of guilt and he locks us in a prison of condemnation and that is completely contrary to who God is as a matter of fact Psalms 103 and 14 says for he knows how weak we are he remembers we are only dust he knows exactly how weak we are he knows all the mistakes we have made and ever will make and yet Romans 8, 38, and 39 says this, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That absolutely nothing can separate us from his love. This is why Jesus died for us. He knew none of us would be perfect. Jesus gave up his divine privileges and accepted humanity so we could have a high priest that understands, so we could have a mediator that sympathizes with our suffering. He was tempted with the same temptations we are when he was in the wilderness. He understands this body of death we have to carry around, how we are weak in our humanity. Romans 8 and 1 says this, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There doesn't have to be any shame or any condemnation. You boldly approach his throne and lay all of your mistakes at Jesus' feet. You will find forgiveness there. My third point to you this morning on how good God is is he's a God who is omnipresent, which means he is present everywhere at all times. You see, a lot of the times in the midst of our struggles, we feel like God has left us. But I've come to reassure you this morning, because he is omnipresent, that is literally impossible. David said, if I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. There is nowhere we can go to escape his presence. He is always with us. But there is also something special about his omnipresence that I want to show you this morning. Deuteronomy 31 and 8 says, in the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. And what I'm trying to tell you is this. It is great comfort to know that I can't escape his notice. That there is nowhere in existence that he can't find me. But that is only great comfort to me because of what this verse teaches me. It wouldn't comfort me any to know he's always here, but only watching. No, this verse teaches me that he is also involved and active. Uh, Let me put it to you like this, the government has satellites that can see everywhere on the face of this earth. If you go on Google Earth, you can type in any address and it'll take you to it. So for this illustration, consider these satellites presence as omnipresent. They can see my house, your house, some random person's house in China, Alaska, and Brazil. They can see everything. They are always watching. But just because they can see everything does me absolutely no good. That benefits me none in the slightest. You see, God is omnipresent. It can see everything. He is always watching. And if that's where he stopped, that would help us none. Oh, but what makes God's omnipresence special in my life and in your life is because of what this verse promises us. It promises us that he's not only watching, he is also involved and active, which means it's because he's always watching. There wasn't anything you went through that he wasn't right beside you. Oh, when it felt like you wouldn't make it, there was a fourth man in the flames carrying you through the fire. That in the middle of your storm, he was there, and he wasn't only watching. He was giving you the strength to make it, And listen I know better than anybody sometimes that's really hard to see I know how easy it is in the middle of rough seasons to feel like God has abandoned us how easy it is to wonder if God was really for me he wouldn't let this happen to me well do me a favor and hold that thought Because now I want to introduce his attribute of being omniscient. Which means he knows everything there ever was, is, or will be to know. He is all-knowing. Romans 8 and 28 says this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This verse says everything. That he works everything together for good. Well, I would argue here that if he has to work it together for good, it can't all start out good. Let me explain it like this. If I set out salt, pepper, and eggs, what would you think I was about to do? You'd think I was going to cook something, right? You'd never think I'm about to crack open some raw eggs and start drinking them like I'm Rocky Balboa or dump salt in my mouth. You would think I'm going to put those eggs in a bowl and, a, and, and stir them up. And when I start to stir them up and I put them in a skillet and I fry them up, I do love scrambled eggs. And what I'm trying to tell you is this. I know this experience wasn't good and neither was this one. And I know this one really hurt you. <laughs> good grief. And I know you wish you wouldn't have allowed you to go through those things but he sees something you don't. Because he's omniscient, he can see the end of a thing before it even begins. So he's going to allow you to go through it because he knows you're going to gain something from it that you could not have gained any other way. The events separately might not be good by themselves, but he sees how he's going to be able to take all of those bad experiences and work them together for good to mold and shape you into the person he wants you to be. Isaiah 43 and 2 says, When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9 says, We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I want you to make no mistake about who he is. He is the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. The author and the finisher. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is yet to come. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning is this we are all gonna go through some stuff jesus says in john 16 and 33 that in this world we will have tribulation but through it all he knows it will not overtake us because he has promised to never leave nor forsake us and he is now taking all of what we go through and working it together for our good hallelujah god is so good My fourth point to you this morning on how good God is, is he's a God who died for us. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. How incredible it is. That the king of glory would step out of his tabernacle in heaven that he would wrap himself in flesh that he would accept humanity and take the position as a suffering servant and he did it while we were still yet sinners Romans three twenty four and 25 says for everyone has sinned we all fall short of God's glorious standard yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins This says all have fallen short of God's standard, that we all have sinned, and the Bible says the wages of sin are death. Yet in his grace, the king of glory was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. He took nails in his wrist and nails in his feet and was willing to sacrificially lay down his life to pay the price for our sins. When every single one of us deserved death, Jesus died so we can instead have life. This is the significance of the sacrifice. God has taken all record of sin and mistakes and replaced it for Jesus' record of righteousness to free us from the penalty of sin. We are all guilty, and yet in his grace, all we have to do is accept his free gift of eternal life. Mm-hmm. And now because we have life, we have this. Titus two thirteen says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He has given us a blessed hope to hold on to. Let me explain it like this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want you to understand that when Paul said this, he had experienced some afflictions he had been beaten multiple times and was in and out of prison he wasn't saying what never experienced difficulties what he was saying is everything we could possibly go through is working towards giving us something that vastly outweighs all of our troubles in other words, everything we go through is but a light affliction in comparison to the eternal glory we shall receive. Jesus has given us a blessed hope that allows our eyes to always be fixed on what's unseen. That's a peace that surpasses all understanding. You better hear me good, and you better hear me good this morning that the Bible says we are heirs to the kingdom of God. What comfort it is to know we have a home far beyond the sky, a home where there is no pain, a home where there is no sorrow, there are no more tears, Sit this doesn't exist Satan has been locked up sin has been conquered we get to live in paradise for all eternity because of what Jesus did for us that is the blessed hope uh, my fifth point to you this morning and this one gets me fired up <sighs> My fifth point to you this morning on how good God is. He's a God who's a man of his word. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says this. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. This is the covenant God made with Abram. We all know him as Abraham as he's later renamed in chapter 17. What a powerful word God just gave Abraham. Him and God just had some mighty good church, and now Abraham's walking in the victory. So Abraham leaves church, and he sets out on his journey to go to the land God would show him. And then he waited. Because you see, Abraham's descendants being blessed into a great nation could only happen after Abraham had descendants. When God gave him this promise, Abraham still had no children. We fast forward to chapter 15, and God promises Abraham that he will give Abraham a son. And we know that in chapter 16, his wife Sarah gets tired of waiting on God, decides to help God out. Who knows, that's not a good idea. So she gives Abraham to her servant Hagar, and at the stunning age of 86, that's right, 86, Abraham has a son through Hagar. Although, this was not God's plan. This was not the son God would confirm his covenant with. Chapter 17 opens, and it says Abraham is 99 years old. He's crusty. And when God appears to him again, promising him a son through his wife Sarah, the son God promised Abraham in chapter 15. This is, this is the one when he appears to him when he's 99 years old. This is the son he would confirm his covenant with. Although I want you to realize that 13 years has passed since the birth of Ishmael, the son of Hagar. By this point, Abraham has to think Ishmael is the fulfillment to God's promise. Because we read this in Genesis 17, 17, and 18. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. And how can Sarah have a baby when she is 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your special blessing. Now before I go any further, I need you to understand that from chapter 12, when God made his covenant with Abraham, to chapter 15, when God promised Abraham a son, that was not a short amount of time. This was years after God had originally spoken that word over Abraham's life, and it was still just a promise. It wasn't something that happened in that moment. Now we know that Ishmael was born because Sarah gets impatient. But we see here that ishmael was not god's fulfillment for 13 years abraham fooled himself by thinking ishmael was god's promise but you see only abraham was fooled god knew exactly what was going on you have to understand that just because abraham fooled himself doesn't mean the promise became a reality without the confirmation of the covenant ishmael was simply just abraham's son not god's promise so we see here that when god appears to abraham telling him just that abraham finds it hard to believe he laughs to himself in disbelief it looked impossible that it would take god this long to fulfill his word can't you just see abraham saying how can it not be ishmael god it's been so long Mm. hmm verse 19 says but god replied no sarah your wife will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. We jump to chapter 21, verses 1 and 2, and this is what it says. The Lord kept his word. The Lord did did what? And did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. Somebody say his time. Uh, Somebody say his time. Now we know that Isaac was born, and Isaac grew up to marry a woman named Rebekah. And Rebekah gave birth to a son named Jacob. Then Jacob grew up and had 12 sons of his own, and those 12 sons became the forefathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel grew into a strong nation, and through Abraham's family tree the Messiah was born, therefore blessing all the families on earth, thus fulfilling God's word. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning is this. From chapter 12 to chapter 21, it took God 25 years to fulfill his promise. That's a long time. But when God promised Abraham, he meant it. Understand this, though. It wasn't in Abraham's time, it wasn't in Isaac's time, and it wasn't in Jacob's time. It was in his time. Mm. You see, it's real easy to walk in victory right after you get a word. It does feel like you're on top of the world for a little while. The hardest hardest part about a promise is the road between the yes and the amen. This lonely, dark road called meanwhile. Because you see it's on this road, the enemy comes whispering in your ear. Do you really believe God would do that for you? Oh, don't tell me you think God loves you that much. Or what about this one? It's been a long time. I guess he's just forgot about you. Hmm. It's easy to get discouraged when we don't see the promise happen when we think it should happen. When we are looking through the perspective of our timing rather than His timing. And I'm going to say that again. It's easy to get discouraged when we don't see the promise happen when we think it should happen. When we are looking through the perspective of our timing rather than His timing. Mm. I'm going to talk to someone today that God has spoken a word over your life. And you feel like it's taken a long time. You feel like God has forgotten about you. God sent me here today to remind you that his word has power. When you study the Bible in Hebrew, you find out God has reverberating words. You see we speak a lot of empty words they go out and they fall to the ground they go out and they get lost in the air god's words are not like that his words have more weight than the atmosphere itself it's as if his words are carved into granite stone it doesn't rise or fall Uh, let me give you an example in genesis 1 and 3 it says then god said let there be light and there was light It's really as if he said let there be light 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 and all throughout the Millennials light reverberates God doesn't have to get up every morning and tell the Sun to rise he spoke it once and it'll do it until God tells it to stop his words have power and if he's ever spoken a word over your life that word has power oh I don't know who but God sent me here this morning to remind somebody that he does not waste his words the same God who promised Abraham is the same God who promised you if he said those prodigal sons and daughters are coming home mom dad grandma grandpa don't stop believing you better believe i stand on this stage as a testimony that he's a man of his word believer if he said you're healed you're healed I don't care what the doctor says I know a king by the name of King Jesus and his name is the name above every other name and his word has power (laughs) Psalms 91 and 4 says his faithful promises are your armor and protection. <laughs> it's your armor and protection. I went to the the worst season of my life recently. And this, this isn't planned. I, I I feel the Holy Spirit tell me to tell you that this is where I got this from so you can understand that this has power. I want you to get this in your spirit because this what I'm about to tell you has power I went through the worst season of my life and the devil tried to break me down and kill me but God spoke a word over my life and that word had power because I'm standing up here right now and in that season all I had was that word it felt like I was gonna die, and all I had was that word. But Psalms 91:4 says His faithful promises are your armor and protection. So when that stupid devil gets in your face and he starts whispering those lies in your ear, you look at him and say, "It don't matter how bad I'm shaking. It don't matter how bad I'm stirred. I've got a word." Hey. If you can get that down in your spirit, nothing will shake you. That devil can come whispering all he wants, and you'll keep putting one foot in front of the other saying, You know what, devil? You're right. It has been a long time, and I am tired. But I know in whom I have believed, and when he said it, he meant it. Oh, listen, I know your legs are tired from all that walking, and you feel like the promise is never going to happen, but our God is a good covenant-keeping God. He does not waste his words. I know this has been a hard road to travel, and I know the enemy has been in your face, but you listen to me, son, and you hear me, daughter. I don't know how and I don't know when, but if he said it, he meant it. Oh, all his promises are yes and amen, every single last one of them. So when that stupid devil gets in your face, Uh, you square yourself up to him and say, you hear me, devil? I've got a word! Hey, when he speaks a word over your life, you hold on to it. He is faithful to his promises. Even when it looks impossible, don't give up. Don't stop believing. If he said it, he meant it. It's just in his time. Uh, Matthew 19 and 26 says, Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. Mm. But with God, everything is possible. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, It's possible. Uh, It's possible. My final point to you this morning on how good God is. He's a God who is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. John 20 14 through 16 says she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? He thought he was, She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, "Rabbi." Mm. this was right after Jesus was resurrected Mary Magdalene was the first person Jesus appeared to Mary and Jesus were not strangers Jesus had driven seven demons out of Mary she was an early follower of Jesus which means she saw him perform many miracles she had walked with Jesus she had talked with him she knew exactly who Jesus was and what he could do and even so this event that took place looked impossible it didn't make logical sense that Jesus could raise himself from the dead it looked so impossible she didn't even recognize it was him when he was standing right in front of her oh but everybody look to your neighbor and say but was God Uh, it doesn't matter how humanly impossible your situation looks Doctors will tell you it's impossible, it'll never get better. You can lose your job and have no idea how you're going to pay your bills and feed your family. People will tell you your marriage is over, there's no point in hanging on. You can be heartbroken from watching your kids be strung out on drugs and be in and out of jail. And it's in these hard and impossible situations we often lose sight of who God is. well this morning I've come to remind you who he is. He's a God who works outside the realm of logical sense. He's not bound by the laws of science and physics. He can bend any law he wants to and show up. And show off at any time in any place. He is sovereign and in control. He's a God who's unshakable, incomprehensible, unstoppable, indescribable. He is the great God Jehovah. Hey! If He did it once, you better believe He'll do it again. If He sent angels to shut the mouths of lions to protect Daniel, don't tell me He won't provide for your family. Oh, if He parted the Red Sea so Israel could escape on dry ground, don't tell me He can't make cancer fall out of a body. If he made dry, dead bones become living beings, don't tell me he can't revive that dry, dead marriage. If he can resurrect himself from the dead, don't tell me he can't bring those prodigal sons and daughters home. You better listen to me and listen to me good this morning. This verse doesn't say some things. It doesn't say most things. It says everything. My God is able to restore, heal, and deliver anything he wants to. He is omnipotent. God is so good. Hallelujah. Ephesians 3 20 says this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him who is able. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we might ask or think this verse is telling us that the work that the Holy Spirit can do in our lives is beyond what we can even comprehend or ever ask for in prayer I'm not going to stretch this out but this message was for somebody Uh, it, 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 it was to remind somebody that he's an exceedingly abundantly above all that we might ask or think kind of God he is absolutely able to restore heal and deliver anything he wants to whatever your it is it's possible hey Psalms 46 and 1 says God is our refuge in strength a very present help in trouble that means right now today whatever it is you're going through he is a present help if you need a healing or a touch from God you need to run up to this altar You need to come up here because the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Uh, My prayer has been for a long time. I've been praying for this for a long time. That if you come up here, God will not just meet you where you need him, but pour out exceedingly abundantly above all that you might ask or think. You need to come up here expecting and believing that he is able and let him show you just how good he truly is.